Hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's your confession of faith as a believer is that Jesus is Lord. In other words, when you say Jesus is Lord, uh, that's how you're saved. Amen. That's how you're delivered. Jesus is Lord. But also when you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying sin cannot dominate you. Satan cannot dominate you. Old habits cannot dominate you. Sickness cannot dominate you. Jesus is my Lord. Amen. That's your confession. It's not only the initial confession. It is the continual confession of every believer that Jesus is my Lord. Not just when you get saved, but it's a constant confession. Amen. Jesus is my Lord. And uh, Jesus said, when you uh, testify about me here, he said, I'm going to talk about you in heaven there. Amen. When you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. Uh, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Come on, try saying that with me. Say, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Jesus is my Lord. And sometimes you say it for the sake of the devil, just to let him know. Amen. That he's not your boss. He's not Lord. Amen. Jesus is my Lord. And I am who God says I am in Christ. Amen. Turn to Mark 11, 22, 23 this morning. We're going to start there this morning. And then tonight we'll see where all we get to go tonight. Uh, but Mark 11, 22, 23, 24 uh, scriptures really made a tremendous impact on my life. And I'm uh, very thankful to uh, my parents for living by faith because the most important thing you can pass to your children is faith. The most important thing you can give to your children is your faith in God. And no matter what else you give them, you want to make sure your faith in God and in the Lord Jesus goes from you to your children than to your grandchildren. Amen. So that's the most valuable thing. So in my family and in Trina's family, that was the number one priority in our family. Now I played baseball and football and, uh, but with my dad, you knew that was not the number one thing in our life was baseball or football. Number one thing was what happens uh, when you go to church, I'm going to watch, see if you're listening. And then I'm going to watch to see if you have a personal relationship with Jesus. Amen. So in all the kids, all of our kids, our family, my dad's family, we're all following Jesus. And um, all of our, our kids following Jesus, serving the Lord. And I'd rather have that than them in whatever, the most fanciest house, fanciest neighborhood or famous, as I want my kids to follow Jesus. And so our kids follow Jesus. Now uh, we're working on the grandkids. So we got, besides that, going to other countries, we want to make sure our kids and grandkids follow Jesus. Amen. So your faith runs in your family. Amen. You want to make sure your faith runs in your family. 
So in this, uh, in our family, my mom and dad, Trent's mom and dad, then another preacher came to my dad's church by the name of Kenneth E. Hagan. And we call him Dad Hagan, but he came to my dad's church when I was eight years old. And so when he came, he taught on faith a lot. And I'm raised in church, so I mean, I knew most of the Bible stories because I was raised in church. And so probably didn't pay much attention when I was eight years old. But Dad Hagan would come and stay for two weeks at a time, sometimes three weeks, and minister every night for three weeks. And he said, usually most of the miracles would start happening the second week. Because people hear the word, hear the word, hear the word. And then he said the second week was when you could see the word working. People getting healed, delivered, set free. Uh, well, um, you know, nowadays, everybody's pretty busy nowadays. Right? In other words, there had to be the uh, saturation of the word before people started receiving and receiving from God. So he would stay two, three weeks. Well, many times he would teach on the subject of faith. He'd use Mark 11, 22, 23, 24. And um, I thought he taught on faith so much, I thought he'd run out of sermon material. Because I heard a lot of preachers. My dad's a preacher, so I heard, you know, you could hear 50 or 100 different sermons from one preacher. But when I hear Dad Hagen, he'd preach on faith a lot. So I thought, that's kind of preaching on faith a whole lot here. And I knew all the Bible stories, but I didn't really understand how faith works. Well, it's important to understand how faith works, isn't it? Well, look at Mark eleven twenty two, 22, and these are the words of Jesus, probably the most important words of Jesus on the subject of faith. The most important words of Jesus on the subject of faith. Mark eleven twenty two, Jesus answered and said unto them, have faith in God. So just underline that in your Bible, real simple. That's all Jesus said to them was have faith in God. Now he's going to tell them how faith works, but he just said, have faith faith in God. Now, when he said to have faith in God, I always say you can end a lot of conversations with that sentence right there. People are going through all the troubles and adversity they're going through. And you just say, have faith in God. Or my daddy would say, there is a God and I'm not him. My dad's case, that meant I was not, he's not going to send me no money is what that meant. But anyway, <laughs> that means you're going to have to learn to trust God, Amen. to know God, to know him personally, to receive from God and to have faith in God. So there's many different translations of that phrase right there, have faith in God. Some of them say have the faith of God or have the God kind of faith, have the God kind of faith. And those are great. Uh, actually, my favorite translation says, lay hold on God's faithfulness. In other words, to have faith in God means that you have learned how to lay hold on his faithfulness. So the pressure is not really just on you to have faith in God. The pressure is where you understand the faithfulness of God, it's easier for you to trust God. Now, I don't know how you deal with trust, but <laughs> I'm a middle child. I don't do well with it sometimes. Somebody tell you something, then they might lie to you. Yep. They might not do what they said, or they may just forget. All right? So you might have trust issues, but when it comes to God, have faith in God. Jesus says, now you can trust God. 
have faith in God or lay hold on God's faithfulness. Then in verse 23, Jesus tells us how faith works. So look at verse 23, when Jesus said to have faith in God, sometimes you just need to encourage somebody, have faith in God. All right, so if he's gonna have faith in God, then that includes really basically uh, five areas in the New Testament where you're gonna have faith in God. Five areas, faith in God. So here's what the Lord said to me, never remove God from your faith life or your faith steps. In other words, your faith is in God. All right, so there's nine scriptures that tell you God is able. In other words, you're not having faith in your natural ability. You're having faith in God and his ability. All right, so there's nine scriptures. I've probably given them to you before that say God is able. Here's a few of them. The scripture says God is able to make you stand. In other words, when you feel like you're going to collapse, you can't take any more. God is able to make you stand. He's able to keep you from falling. He's able to make your marriage stand, your business stand. Come on, your church stand. In other words, my faith is in God, his ability. He's able to make me stand. Or he is able, right, Ephesians 3.20, to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. So now my faith is in God who is able to do what? More than I can ask, more than I can think by his power. Amen. So there's a bunch. He is able, Romans chapter four, he is able to perform what he promised. Amen. So Abraham just gave glory to God. Why? He's fully persuaded what God has promised. Amen. He is able to perform it. So my faith is in who? God. Well, it's another one, one of my favorites in, in Hebrews seven twenty five, And it says this. It says, wherefore, talking about Jesus, he is able to save, deliver, heal us to the uttermost because uh, he ever lives to make intercession for us. In other words, he's able to save, deliver, heal, restore us completely. Why? Hebrews 7, 25. He ever lives to make intercession for me. Yes. Praise the Lord. So now your faith is in who? God. God. He's able to make me stand. And Dad Hagen said it this way. It's really good. He said, sometimes we talk about having faith in God. He said, and we think faith in God, you know, who's way off, far from us. But he said, really, since the Spirit of God lives in you as a believer, you should have faith in the God that lives in you. All right, let's try that one more time. In other words, instead of having faith in God, way up somewhere, have faith in what? The Spirit of God that lives in you. So that's not that far away, amen? Have faith in the Spirit of God that's in you, and, and He lives in you, and that's a part of your confession of faith. Well, there's several other scriptures. I don't have time to cover them all this morning, but uh, learning to live by faith, uh, you know, it's, it's simply, uh, you can be saved by faith. Receive Jesus as your Lord. That's how you got saved. You believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and now you're saved. But living by faith is a whole nother matter. <laughs> I said, living by faith. And yet, uh, God tells us four times the just shall live by faith. In other words, as a believer, living by faith is the chief occupation of your life. So that means 
You will not live by faith accidentally. Amen. Or Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight. Come on, but if you're used to living by sight, or other translations say not by your feelings or by appearances. Now, when it comes to pilots, we have our own jet, have our own pilots that work for us for many years now. So I send my pilots into training. It's very expensive. <laughs> you say, why? Well, because uh, I want them, you know, 40,000 feet. You want to make sure that they hadn't forgotten anything. <laughs> right? So, uh, so they say when it comes to pilots, then uh, if a pilot is not instrument rated, if they're not instrument rated, that means they're just flying by visual. And if they're not instrument rated, then they say you only have 90 seconds before you get disoriented if you're not instrument rated. By disoriented means in 90 seconds, if you're not instrument rated, you get in the fog or you get in clouds and in 90 seconds, disoriented means your feelings don't know whether you're going up, down, left, right, sideways. So you will crash if you fly by your feelings. But you think your feelings would be smarter than that. But really, you're, you only got 90 seconds if you live by your feelings. Mm -hmm. So God says we live by faith, which means if you're going to walk by your feelings, you got 90 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Are y'all still here? In other words, if you're going to walk by your feelings or by circumstances or by appearances, then you're not really living by faith. And he said, and if you're going to walk by your appearances or feelings, then you got 90 seconds and you're totally disoriented. You may not feel saved. Don't, don't look around right now. I said, you, you may not feel forgiven. You might not feel victorious. You might not feel blessed. But if you're just going to live by your feelings, come on, you're just flying by sight, which means you better stay low and get down fast. You get in the clouds. You get in the... So walking by faith and not by sight means if someone's instrument rated, they actually have to be trained not only to trust their instruments, but to focus on their instruments. Yes, yes. So if you're going to be instrument rated, or if you're going to, as a Christian, then you're going to live by faith and you have to actually trust the word of God. Yes. Amen. That's right. And you got to look at the word of God. Right. Or you could say the simplest definition of faith is to act like the Bible is true. In other words, which way are you going to pull up, pull down, turn right, turn left? Now, in other words, the moment you believe the word of God, then you act like the Bible is true. Yes. Simplest definition of faith is just to act. In other words, if it don't affect your behavior, it's really not faith. Y'all still here? Yes. Praise the Lord. So we walk by faith and not by sight. And then he says we fight the good fight of faith. Well, there, there is a fight to faith. And so if you don't really like fighting, you're probably not going to enjoy living by faith. But I'm a middle child. I got an older brother, younger brother, had the neighbors come over and we actually, you know, enjoyed fighting. If there wasn't a fight going on, we usually started one. Because it just got too boring, you know, so you like slap somebody upside the head and run. But anyway, so you want to fight. So if you don't like fighting and so living by faith, is a fight. Yes. Everybody say it's a fight. Yes. 
In other words, you're not going to do it without opposition. Praise the Lord. So living by faith is a fight. It is a different kind of fight, but it's a real fight. Or let's say it this way. I like to say it sometimes like um, the biggest fight to faith is the fight you have to fight to keep from fighting. What does that mean? That means in the fight of faith, you labor to enter into rest and say the battle is the Lord's and the victory is mine. So I'm not going to fight in this battle. I'm going to give praise and glory to God and God will fight this battle for me. Amen. So that's kind of a little different definition, fight. All right, let's say it this way. Since God is a faith God, you got saved by faith, living by faith, walking by faith then God would not design a plan for your life that did not require faith. Boy, that's true. Absolutely. So if you're not only saved, you know, you know you're going to go to heaven when you die, but you believe God has a plan for your life. All right, well, let's try this out over here. Come on, you're not only saved, thank God, you're not going to go to hell, you're going to go to heaven. But you also believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so if you're going to follow God's plan for your life, God would not design a plan that did not require faith. Amen. Amen. And so the great thing about it is he's given you the means whereby you can get faith. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So God simply says, if you'll take the word, receive the word, amen, that's where faith comes from. So it's not only faith in God, now it's faith in the word of God. Faith in God and faith in his word. Praise the Lord. So living by faith, walking by faith. Now here's something Jesus said about having faith in God because there's a fight and you know God wants what's best for you. And sometimes you kind of want what you want, but you're not necessarily sure that what God has for you is best for you. So you just pursue your own. But if you're going to, Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When you set out to seek God, then you're saying, Lord, I don't necessarily just want my plan. I want to follow your plan. Amen. I want to follow your plan. Or my mama told me this because I brought a girlfriend home (laughs) from high school. Probably I was 16 years, 17 years old. And um, so I brought her home from school. And that was back in the miniskirt days, you know. I don't know, man. That's like 1970 or something like that. You talking about some miniskirts, man. They had some miniskirts. and, you know, they're not real healthy for a 17-year-old, but I brought, I brought my girlfriend home, mini skirt, right? And I brought her in the house, and my mama said, I plead the blood of Jesus. <laughs> she did. I plead the blood of Jesus. What in the world? <laughs> so here's what my mama said. I said, now, Mama, I really like her. Matter of fact, Mama, I want her. 
And my mama said, you may get what you want, but you may not want what you get. Now, how many ever got what you wanted and figured out that really wasn't what you wanted? Thank you for your enthusiasm. So when you believe God has a plan for your life, you're not, you're not determined just to get what you want. And by faith, you say, Lord, I don't want just what I want. I want to follow your plan, your purpose. And it may not look rewarding up front, but the day will come that you'll say, I'm sure not sorry that I followed God's plan for my life instead of my own. Amen. Later on, I went to college and I brought Trina home from college. And my mother said, thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus. All right, now look at us. <laughs> Let's see what Jesus had to say about faith here because Jesus might be an expert. And there's a lot we can learn about faith. Now, I always give this illustration, you've heard it before probably, but about my grandson, Gavin, um, because we have a swimming pool in the backyard, so we have eight grandkids. And so I make sure all the grandkids go get swimming lessons and I pay for the swimming lessons. So I tell them, don't, you know, you go get them swimming lessons. We've got a swimming pool in the backyard. So I want you to uh, uh, have, make sure all of them can swim earliest possible age. You know, we have gates around it, fence, everything. But earliest possible age, I want to make sure they can swim. When I'm talking about like two, three, you know, we want them swimming, right? So uh, we teach all of them, pay, pay for all of them, and then I give them a test, watch, see if they can swim. And you know the story about Gavin is um, one day I was standing outside by the pool, grandkids are coming over, and I'm standing by the diving board, and here comes Gavin out there, and he's just the cutest little grandson, man, he's so cute. And he comes and he said, Poppy, I can swim now. I said, that, that's good, Gavin. I'm glad you can swim. I'm telling you, I can swim. Well, then his daddy, my son-in-law, comes up and says, Papa, you know Gavin, he can really swim now. I said, really? That's really good, Gavin. But I'd been watching Gavin, and I knew he could really only swim in the shallow end. <laughs> well, that's really not swimming. <laughs> so we have to be standing by the diving board by the deep end. So I grabbed Gavin and said, show Poppy how you can swim, Gavin. Whew, and I put him in the deep end. I did. And I'm watching as Gavin is sinking in the deep end. And I turned to my son-in-law and I said, if I was you, I would jump in there and save you. So he hands me his phone, his wallet. <laughs> he jumps in, pulls Gavin out, and I have a little talk with my son-in-law. And that is, I told you, he cannot swim. Now, I do not want him to fall in that pool when I'm not around. So that's the reason I put him in there. I'm here, and now I want to see what he can do. And I told you, now take him back to lessons. So what happened with Gavin is he did fall into water. We're watching him sink. 
And while he's sinking, he's making swimming motions. So we can see him going down. He's like, <laughs> bubbles coming up. I said, get him out of there. So a lot of Christians, when you start trying to tell them about faith, they're like, oh, I know about faith. I know about faith. But you let a difficult situation hit their life. And they'll be making swimming motions. They'll be making some faith motions, but they're still getting whipped. Well, God don't want you to get whipped. This faith is the victory that overcomes the world. In other words, this is not some failure faith. This is a faith that will put you over, fight a good fight. Have you coming out on top because victory is yours because of what Jesus has done. So what the Lord does to many of us is he'll just say, now he'll rescue us while we're making our swimming motions, our faith motions sinking. He'll rescue us and then he'll send us back to class. So now don't look at anybody right now, but say, this is one of those classes. This is one of those classes. <laughs> Why? Because you might've sunk last time, but God's not planning on you sinking next time. He's going to swim next time. So in Mark eleven twenty three, when Jesus said to have faith uh, in verse 23, he says, here is how faith works. How many think Jesus might know exactly how faith works? Yeah. Uh, now, let me ask you this question because the Lord talks to me kind of funny. The Lord said to me, he said, do you think when I said that was the first time I ever said that? He said, do you think I made that up while I was saying it? I said, well, probably not. <laughs> in other words, in the setting, Jesus had just spoken to the fig tree and the disciples were pretty impressed. They're like, whoa, look at that. And they said, master, that's amazing. And Jesus said, have faith in God. And then he said, and what I just did, whosoever shall say. Are y'all ready for this? You ought to just pray for your mind right now. Just pray, say, Lord, increase my mental ability right now. Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. I said, Lord, why did you say mountain? We are already impressed with the tree, and you have to throw a mountain in here. Jesus, just to blow everybody's mind for the next 2,000 years in theological schools. In other words, when Jesus said, whosoever shall say to this mountain, he's saying anything that looks too big for you or anything that looks impossible. Well, you ought to just laugh for a minute right now. Anything that looks impossible. Now, listen. Smith Wigglesworth said, any man can be changed by faith no matter how he may be fettered. Amen. Now, see, the word is fettered is an old English word. It just simply means bound. Any person can be changed by faith in God no matter how they may be bound. That means the devil cannot make a bondage that your faith cannot break off of you. Come on. In other words, there is no mountain in the sphere of your life 
that is immovable. If it is there, it can move and it has to move if you will have faith in God. Hmm. So when Jesus said, whosoever shall say, now, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm 66 years old, so I use KJV. I don't need the N in front of it. Just KJV. You got that? All right, when I'm speaking, just KJV. And new generations have to have all kinds of words. All I need is these right here. They'll work. So Jesus said, <laughs> I read other translations, but I'll start with this one. So he said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Uh-huh. So he's saying, now don't just move it to your neighbor's yard. Now, why did he say be cast into the sea? Here's what he said to me. He said, because the sea has the capacity to receive the mountain, dissolve the mountain, and you know the mountain will not come back. Amen. He said, now once that mountain is removed and cast into the sea, there'll be no evidence it was ever there. Amen. When you live by faith and you have faith in God, here's the way the Lord said to me, he said, your faith does not prevent all mountains, but it will move all mountains. In other words, when something that looks impossible comes up before, maybe a doctor's report, maybe something that, that you believe God for and it looks impossible. He said, when that mountain is there, it is not immovable. You say to the mountain, be removed, be cast and do not doubt in your heart. What does doubt in your heart mean? Well, it's possible to have doubt in your head and not have doubt in your heart. All that means is you do not entertain doubt. In other words, thoughts may come. You just don't dwell on that. You don't entertain that. Shall not doubt in his heart, but shall what? Believe those things which he saith. Shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, what's the two most outstanding words? Well, for me, the two most outstanding words in Mark eleven twenty three 23 is Jesus said, whosoever. And then he said, whatsoever. All right, let's try that one more time. Because, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like the... <laughs> I kind of like to think about what he said. I say, are you serious? And I'm only 17 years old when I'm getting the teaching on faith. And so I was raised in a little town. A little town, only one traffic light in town in South Texas called West Columbia, Texas. So I'm raised in a little town, one traffic light. And uh, 3,000 people in town. My dad pastored there 50 years. And so when you're raised in a little town, one traffic light, you, you really kind of like, they said it was such a small town that the... Uh, Welcome, and y'all come back, signs on the same pole. <laughs> so they said it was such a small town, they had to put a mirror at the end of town to make it look bigger. So I said it was such a small town, had a beauty contest, nobody won. They had such a small town <laughs> that the yellow pages only had one page. So I was raised in a little town. And in that little town, <laughs> I used to ride my horse around town and deliver grit newspapers. Just tie my horse up different places in town and deliver paper. So I'm raised in a little town in Texas, right? And so in that little town there, my daddy, with a spirit of faith, only 3,000 people in town, my dad pastored there 50 years. But in those 50 years, 3,000 people in town. And my daddy's church grew to over 2,000 people in his church. 
more than 2,000 in his church. So that meant little town, Texas. That means Baptist, Methodist, <laughs> Catholics, Church of Christ are coming over here in the word of faith, getting filled with the Holy Spirit and 50 missionaries sent all over the world from a little town. Come on, one man, one man came in my dad's church with a cowboy boots and a snap shirt and gave my dad $1.2 million. It'll happen. The next year, I'm agree with you. The next year, that cowboy guy came back, gave him another million dollars. See, now that's in a little town. So don't act like God can't find your address and take care of you in a little place. All right, so here's what I want you to see real quickly here because I'm not going to go much longer. So in this little town, my dad's church grew, and right across the highway, the beer uh, uh, distributor company, Coors and Budweiser, Michelob, all those had a big warehouse. Right, and so they parked their beer trucks right beside the church. <laughs> it's on public property on the highway, but it's right beside the church. We're talking about 15 beer trucks parked right behind the church. So my daddy said, well, you know, uh, we'd like to buy that beer distributorship. And so they said, well, we'll sell it to you for one and a half million dollars. Well, make a short story here. Uh, my daddy waited a while and the beer company changed their whole distribution process. And my dad bought it for $120,000. Wow. So who's laughing now? <laughs> Bud Light. So, so now... <laughs> He turned the beer distributor house into a missions distribution warehouse, shipping containers to Africa and all over the world and training. And so you're talking about some big stuff happening, right? But when they first went there to pastor, <laughs> whoo, come on, just a few people in the church, poor, poor, you know, they, the poor people called them poor. So poor didn't have no money. And then... My dad had a heart attack. My mama had a nervous breakdown, which did not last two weeks. It lasted two years. That's their first their pastor. And then I was only one year old. They first moved there. And so I'm out in the yard playing with uh, uh, my older brother, who's four, and he, he got my thumb cut off in a bicycle chain. It's still gone. So the, my older brother helped me do that. I'm thankful. But anyway, he helped me cut off my thumb in a bicycle chain, which only means I can hitchhike that away. I just cannot do that. <laughs> Are my grandkids, when I'm home, they'll bring their friends around after church and say, Poppy, 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 uh, show, show my friends you ain't got no thumb. <laughs> so I'm trying to have a serious conversation here after church, and it's like a circus, you know, all these little kids come around, where, where's your thumb? They look. So I always tell them something like, you know, I was picking my nose, a booger bit it off. And so it's all kinds of stuff. <laughs> I even had a preacher, you know, he thinks you've got to be perfect for God to use you, you know. And he said, wow, God's using you and you're missing your thumb. I said, I said, let God use you. You're missing your brain, man. Let him use you. <laughs> so... <laughs> In the middle of this situation with my parents, because what I'm saying is my parents' faith came to me and now to my children, now to my grandchildren. 
but there was a fight. Let me show you how to fight. Come on, you're running out of fight. So everything's going wrong. And somebody gave my mom and dad a book called The Authority of the Believer. Simple little book. That's when Dad Hagen started coming, teaching on faith of the authority of the believer. Now, here's the way the Lord said it to me. He said, the authority of the believer is not just available. It is absolutely necessary. And if you don't exercise your authority as a believer, the devil will take advantage of your negligence. In other words, your words are authority that every believer has, that Jesus said, anybody can do this. It'll work for whoever. It'll work on whatsoever. If you ever learn that, you can never be a victim again. When you have faith in God, nobody can make you a victim. So here comes the word. My mom and dad, my daddy's sick, heart attack. Mama, nervous breakdown, don't have no money. And so then my mama's in the back bedroom for how long? Two years. She couldn't take care of the kids. She had stuff happen in her life that we didn't know. She told us later on when we got older, things that had happened to her and just oppression, depression, darkness. And she was even saved. She was saved. Pastor's wife. And so here she is struggling. And when she got a hold of that book on the authority of the believer, then my, my dad, ha ha, whosoever shall say. Come on. Come on. Now, you, you can't say that he didn't have faith in God because he's a pastor. But he didn't know how to exercise his authority as a believer. So that's when, whoo, he said, whosoever shall say. In other words, your words will give you authority over devils and demons and evil spirits and things that come against your mind or your life. And actually, faith works the same in every area of life. All right. Now, when I heard Dad Hagen, here's what he said, because I was a teenager, 17 years old. And I, he came, I was eight. I didn't start paying attention until I was 17. You know. That's uh, four, my dad and four deacons came and got me out of jail. That's another story. But anyway, preacher's kids have trouble because they run around with deacon's kids. But anyway, so, so I ended up in jail. I figured it'd be a good time to start paying attention. Amen. And so in this area, on the authority of the believer, when Dad Hagen came to teach on faith, he's a pretty unimpressive guy. He's not really a cool guy. You know what I mean? He's not really like a flashy personality. <laughs> Come on, back in those days, wear those, what, what they call those suits? Those uh, polyester suits, right? Leisure suits. <laughs> if you get next to a fire, it won't really burn. It just melts. <laughs> So, so my dad, he just, he used to be a hippie, you know. Bell bottom leaves the suit. <laughs> Bell bottom. Staying alive, staying alive. All right, so here we go. So, Dad Hagen said, listen, he said, if you're not happy with what you have in life, check out what you've been saying. How many ever actually monitored your mouth? Jesus said, you have what you say. So when he said, if you're not happy, check out what you've been saying. Well, I was only 17 and I really wasn't happy. How many of y'all can be, uh, remember being unhappy at 17? 
You don't have to wait till you get to be 40 to be unhappy. No, that's true. You don't have to wait till you get married to be unhappy. You know what I'm talking about. So, you know, <laughs> and really, there ain't nobody's going to cure your unhappiness. Except Jesus. Faith in God. So he said, if you're not happy with what you have in life, check out what you've been saying. Well, I was only 17. I thought, well, what have I been saying? Well, I've been saying a lot of stuff. And I didn't realize that my words were determining factors in my destination. So I realized if I don't change what I'm saying, it's going to limit what God's able to do in my life. Oh, man. So here's what my dad did. I've got to finish up with this here. Take a little bit longer here. Amen. <laughs> so here's what my dad did. He, he got the word. Everybody say the word. Of course, he knows the Bible. He's a pastor. My, my mom knew the Bible. She's a pastor. So my dad got the word and went back to the back bedroom. Her mom was in depression for two years. And he got my mom to speak the word. Amen. All right, let's try this one. He said he got my mom to speak the word. Now, you can't tell me she didn't know the word. She's a pastor's wife. She knows the word. But Jesus didn't say you're just going to have what you know. He said you're going to have what you say. So if you're silent, you could actually lose by default. It's not enough just to agree mentally with the word. That word has to be in your mouth because the authorities in your mouth are the word in your mouth. That's a good quote, but that wasn't the one I was going to use. <laughs> That's Reinhard Bonnke. I learned that from Bonnke. God's word in my mouth is just as powerful as his word in his mouth. All right. <laughs> God's word in your mouth, I call it mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation from God. Write that down. So, in other words, when you take God's word and put it in your mouth and you speak the word of God, aha, uh -huh. so my mama, my dad's coaching her, say, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Did she feel that way? No. The appearance that way? No. But now we're getting instrument rated and we're focusing on what the word says. And no matter how you feel, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. In other words, the authority is in your mouth, in your voice. Your voice. If your faith is not strong enough to move your mouth, it will not move the mouth. All right, here's the next one. I got to finish this. Psalm 27, because this is my mom's favorite psalm. You know this. Psalm 27. So here's my mom's favorite psalm. And so here's what she said. You know this one? I see that you don't know it. Do you? All right. I, I knew I could go somewhere. I'm kidding. 
All right, Psalm 27, are you ready? Here's, here's my mom's favorite psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. The host should encamp against me. My heart will not fear. The war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle he shall hide me, and now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore in his tabernacle will I offer sacrifices of joy. I will sing praises unto the Lord. You say, what's happening? The fight is on, baby. The fight is on. In other words, the moment you start speaking the word and agreeing with God, that's where your authority is. And it's not just an initial confession. Actually, the scripture says, hold fast to that confession of faith. So my mom would speak and say the word again, and you know the story. She came over in the church, and she's got so free. She praised God and praised the Lord. And finally, as a teenager, you know, my mama here, she'd start, she'd praise the Lord so much, and then she might run around the church. She'd go, whoo, well, she'd come out of darkness, out of depression. And she'd start praying. She'd go, whoa, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Whoa. And then she'd run around the church. It's very embarrassing when I got to be a teenager. You know, you have your mom around church on Sunday. Listen, and the church grew so much, you got the president of the bank. You know, you got the leaders of chambers of commerce going to that church. My mom still, thank you, Jesus. Thank, praise the Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank. And she ran around church. Not every Sunday. She didn't do it every Sunday, but you just could not tell when she was going to do it. <laughs> So one Sunday, a friend of mine accidentally came to church. I don't know how he got there. I did not invite him. Little town. I saw my friend. Come on, sitting in church. And I went, oh, my God, please, Lord, please. Please, can we have a dignified service today, please, Lord? Please don't let nobody talk in tongues. And please don't let my mama run around the church. So I went and sat by my friend. I said, uh, buddy, you know, it's kind of an unusual church here. I've never been in a church like this, buddy. I'll explain to you later. So they start praising the Lord. Then the lady right behind us, her name was Sister Evans, 80 years old. Been in church for many years. Very faithful. And she starts speaking in tongues. Realize she's like, yeah. My friend looked at me and said, is that Latin? I said, no. This ain't no Catholic church. I'll explain it to you later. And Sister Evans, she's old, so she had false teeth. So when she was speaking in tongues, her teeth would click and clack together. Like that. You could hear them like clack, 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 clack. So if you didn't have the interpretation, if you knew Morse code, you could figure out what the Holy Ghost was saying. Like, no, 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 no. 
They're thinking in tongues. Then, then somebody would interpret it and say, Thus saith the Lord, the Lord is fighting about it. My mom would go, Hallelujah! Woo! She took off running around the church. So my friend, my friend, he, he said, Who is that woman? I said, Man, I have no idea who that woman is. I was so ashamed that was my mama running around the church. But that ain't the end. If that was the end, it wouldn't be too bad. Because when my mama got loose, she starts praising. Because when Jesus sets you free, come on, she run right by the banker. She didn't care. Million dollars didn't set her free. Jesus set her free. She run right by him and goes, Uh, that's not the end. She's running praising the Lord. And you can feel the atmosphere. It's like, things are getting out of control here. So, the meanest man in town, been a fighter, ran a bar. He got saved, filled the Holy Ghost. And he would come sit there right in church, you know, very quiet, personality, very unassuming, you know. And when my mama run, he, he would feel the power of God. He'd like go, whoa. Ooh, hallelujah. And then he would start dancing. He'd come out in the center aisle and he'd go, ooh. <laughs> I, I feel sorry if you've never been in a church like this. He'd go, ooh, ooh, ooh. Now, he wasn't like that naturally at all. And he starts stomping. And my friend, he's like, man, this is better than TV. <laughs> so this guy's stomping. My mama's still running. She's accumulated a few runners. So, so then the richest woman in town, Cadillac, you know, big Cadillac, big diamonds and everything. She, she was Baptist and she'd been saved, but she came over to my daddy's church because she liked uh, the Holy Spirit, you know. So she came on and she got filled with the Holy Spirit. And so she had, you know, I mean, Baptists are already finished. You know, we're still having church. <laughs> so she'd come over. Oh, thank you, Lord. And she'd start praising her. Then she'd get full of joy, full of joy, full of joy. Diamonds everywhere. Fancy, full of joy. She'd go. <laughs> she'd start laughing. Mama's running. This guy's stomping. And she's just full of joy. <laughs> you know, joy of the Lord is a real thing. And she'd just start laughing. <laughs> and then she'd stagger around and fall out on the floor. <laughs> Now, this did not happen every Sunday. You just couldn't tell when it's going to happen. All right. Well, then my granny, my granny died when she was 96. They said she would have made 100 if she hadn't eaten a piece of pecan pie every day. That pecan pie could kill you by 97. So my granny, you know, when you're older, you, you really can't dance. You just kind of scoot, you know. <laughs> so my granny, she'd feel the presence of the Lord, and she would uh, close her eyes, and she'd kind of scoot like this. She'd, like, she'd have a grin on her face. She'd go. 
It's like she's walking with Jesus or something. You heard about that, that guy who thought his wife was going deaf. And so he gave her a test. He stood across the room. He put her on the couch and he turned his back to her. He said, can you hear me now? And there was no answer. So he backed up closer to her. He said, can you hear me now? No answer. So he backed right up against the couch. He said, can you hear me now? She said, for the third time, I said, I can hear you. <laughs> so, <all right>. <laughs> <laughs> So while all the praising was going on, my daddy would, would explain it to the visitors. He would say, now, some of you think this is not necessary, and it's not necessary unless it is necessary. In other words, the authority of the believer is necessary. It's necessary. Your words are your voice, no matter how you feel or no matter how things look. If you'll lift your voice, if you'll speak the word, if you'll start to magnify the Lord and praise God, come on, God will get you to your destination, his plan for your life. All right, lift your hands and thank God for that. Praise the Lord. Woo! Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the authority of the believer. We thank you for your goodness that our faith is in God. Thank you, Father. We lay hold on your faithfulness, unchanging your word. Oh, Father God, we worship you. Thank you for your goodness, your mercy. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that you proved your love for us, even while we were sinners, that Christ died for us. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you've given us the gift of eternal life the gift of salvation, the gift of righteousness. You said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you, Lord, for victory in our lives, to know that we're saved. Satan's dominion is broken. Sin cannot dominate us. Satan cannot torment us. Fear cannot control us. We believe God. We believe and we speak. We lift our voice. And mountains have to move. Woo, come on, lift your hands and thank you for it. I said mountains have to move. Our demons have to flee. Come on, families will be changed. The scenery will be changed. By the power of God, the goodness of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that for teaching us how to swim. <laughs> teaching us how to live by faith. That no matter what fight or challenges come against us, you said, this is the victory. Who come on, we win. In our mind, in our bodies, in our families, in our finances, we win by the blood of Jesus and through faith in the word of God that we win. We win in our lives because of the blood. Win over sin, win over the past and over failure. That sickness and disease power is broken in the name of Jesus. That Jesus Christ is our Lord. He has redeemed us. Hallelujah. Everybody lift your hands up. Everybody say this. Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving me, for dying for me, 
for your precious blood that cleanses me from all sin, gives me confidence and boldness. I cry, Abba, Father, that God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and victory is mine. I will walk by faith and not by sight. Give the Lord a shout. Amen. God bless. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this powerful message. We hope it blesses you. If you would like more info on Word of Life, sermons, and free downloads, please go to www.wordoflifeapopka.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.